House of the Dragon Episode 5 has a royal wedding, so naturally there's politics, drama, and a murder. What happens and what does it mean? This video has no spoilers for Hot D beyond Episode 5. The opening sequence is a symbolic family tree, showing the bloodline of House Targaryen, and it's slightly changed across episodes. The symbol for Alicent Hightower now has a bloodline connecting to her husband, King Viserys, and there are two bloodlines coming from her, representing her son Aegon and her daughter Helena. The symbol for Rhaenyra now connects to Laenor Valerion, who she marries in this episode. In the previous episode, Viserys told Daemon to go back to his wife in the Vale. So now in the Vale, we finally meet Daemon's estranged wife, Rhea Royce. House Royce is famous for their ancient bronze armour, engraved with runes of the First Men. So Rhea's clothes are decorated with runes, which the show's creators copied from Wikipedia. The Royce bronze armour and their history as bronze kings is why Daemon calls Rhea his bronze bitch. In Game of Thrones, House Royce is led by Bronze Yon Royce. He's the father of Waymar Royce, who gets killed by White Walkers in episode 1. The Royce castle is Runestone, just up the coast from King's Landing. So Daemon arrives and finds Rhea, and Rhea is immediately suspicious of him, glancing over her shoulder. She insults Daemon, saying that he should have sex with a sheep, because previously Daemon said that in the Vale the sheep are prettier than the women. Rhea mocks Daemon, saying that Viserys rejected Daemon by making Rhaenyra heir to the throne instead of him, and Rhea says that her marriage to Daemon is still unconsummated, they've never had sex. Rhea says that Daemon couldn't finish. And we know that Daemon has a history of sexual dysfunction, of not being able to have sex with Mazaria and Rhaenyra. So Rhea really knows how to hurt Daemon's insecurities about sex and family. She's just as sharp-tongued as he is, so it's easy to see how Rhea and Daemon's personalities clashed and their marriage failed. Daemon comes close, Rhea grabs her bow, her horse rears up, Daemon touches it and it falls, so that Rhea is crushed, paralysing her. Then Daemon kills Rhea with a rock, to make it look like she died by accident, falling off her horse. The books say that Rhea died in a tragic mishap, falling and cracking her head on a rock. Daemon was on the stepstones at the time, so in the books Rhea's death may really have been an accident. In the show, it is ambiguous whether Daemon came here planning to kill Rhea, or if he just took the opportunity. But his hated wife is dead, which means that Daemon is now free to remarry, whether for love, or for lust, or for power. Otto Hightower leaves King's Landing. Viserys fired Otto as Hand of the King because Otto had manipulated Viserys and undermined Rhaenyra to try and make Otto's grandson Aegon heir to the throne. Otto blames his daughter Alicent for getting him fired, because Alicent sided with Rhaenyra and said Rhaenyra was innocent of having sex with Daemon. But Otto says that Alicent shouldn't support Rhaenyra, because if Rhaenyra takes the throne after Viserys dies, there'll be war. Many lords won't accept a female ruler and would prefer Alicent's son Aegon on the throne. Otto says Rhaenyra will need to kill Alicent's children, because they're a threat to her claim. Otto says they must get Aegon on the throne, or else Rhaenyra will destroy them. They must win the Game of Thrones, or die. 
Otto loves Alicent and wants to protect her, but Alicent's only in this dangerous situation because Otto pushed Alicent to marry Viserys and pushed for Aegon to be heir. Alicent went along with her family's ambitions, and now she and her children are in danger. Laris Strong, the clubfoot, is the son of Lionel Strong and the brother of Harwin Strong. Laris tells Alicent, subtly and indirectly, that Maester Melos gave Rhaenyra moon tea, hinting that Rhaenyra lied to Alicent and that she really did have sex. Laris says Alicent can't rely on Rhaenyra and that Laris will be Alicent's ally. So Laris creates conflict here, turning Alicent against Rhaenyra and positions himself as a friend to the Queen. It's similar to how Littlefinger in Game of Thrones creates chaos to gain power. But how does Laris know about Rhaenyra's moon tea? Laris says that he's just observant. We saw him listening to the ladies at the hunt. Maybe he also has spies, like Mazaria's little birds. Maybe he knows the secrets of the Red Keep, like Daemon. Maybe he's working with the Maesters. Laris's dad, Lionel, did study at the Citadel. Or maybe Laris's knowledge is magical. YouTuber Joe Magician argues that Laris might be a Greenseer. Greenseers are people like Bran and Bloodraven who use the magic of the Old Gods and the Weirwood Trees. Greenseers can see through the eyes of Weirwoods and see through the eyes of animals, can see through time and space. Greenseers have the blood of the First Men, the original humans in Westeros. That includes House Stark, like Bran, and House Blackwood, like Bloodraven, and House Strong, like Laris. He also descends from the First Men. Bloodraven says that Greenseers have powerful minds but are physically weak, just like Laris is weak with his clubfoot. So it is plausible that Laris could be a Greenseer. House Strong is based at Harrenhal, and Harrenhal just happens to be right next door to the Isle of Faces, a mysterious island sacred to the Old Gods. The Isle has a grove of weirwood trees watched over by the mystical Green Men. Maybe the curious Laris Strong visited the Isle of Faces and learned magic from the Green Men. Maybe he can skin change into animals. In the books, Bloodraven was once a spymaster who skin changed into crows to spy on people. In the books, Arya Stark also has this power, and she skin changes into a cat to spy on people. So maybe Laris skin changes into these rats we've seen in Hot D, using them to spy and listen in on conversations in the Red Keep. And he could see through this weirwood to witness all the important conversations that happen here. This scene with Alicent visually connects Laris with the weirwood. At first it seems almost like Laris's voice is coming from the tree, like he's watching through its eyes. For more on this theory, check out Joe Magician. So far, we don't know for sure how Laris knows what he knows, but he clearly is a mysterious and powerful character, and in a way, he says he's similar to Alicent. Because Laris talks about a flower from Bravos that isn't native to King's Landing, but still thrives here. Just like Laris and Alicent aren't native to the Red Keep, they aren't royal Targaryens, but they may still thrive and grow strong here. In the background, there's an image of a lemon tree, which might be a subtle hint to a mystery in the books. In the books, Daenerys remembers that she once lived in a house in Bravos with a lemon tree outside. 
Which is weird, because the books also say that lemon trees don't grow in Bravos, they only grow in warmer climates to the south. It's not native, like Laris's flower. Some fans speculate that Daenerys's house with the lemon tree was actually in Dawn or someplace for a conspiracy. Viserys and Rhaenyra sail to Driftmark, the island of House Valerion. Viserys gets seasick and pukes, so his new Hand of the King, Lionel Strong, gives him a cloth to wipe the vomit. In Game of Thrones, Jaime says the king shits and the hand wipes. It's the job of the Hand of the King to solve the king's problems and to clean up his mess. It's interesting that Viserys takes this miserable boat journey instead of just flying a dragon. Viserys doesn't have his own dragon anymore, but he could have hitched a ride on Rhaenyra's dragon, Cyrax. We've seen dragons used as passenger vehicles before, like they're a big scaly flying minibus. But maybe Viserys is afraid to ride dragons. He said that dragons are an uncontrollable, dangerous power. They arrive at the Valarion Castle, called High Tide. The Valarions originally lived in a smaller castle, but after Corlys made heaps of money on his voyages, he built this newer, better castle. High Tide is on its own small tidal island, which is only accessible by foot when the tide is low, which shows the Valarion connection to sea power and ships. Lionel is offended that the Valarions don't greet King Viserys outside. It's meant to be a big deal when the king visits your home, like when King Robert visits the Starks in Game of Thrones. But Viserys is just greeted by Lena Valarion, the daughter of Corlys and Rhaenys. Previously, Viserys rejected Lena's marriage proposal, so now sending Lena to meet Viserys is a reminder of how insulted Corlys felt that his family was denied a royal marriage. Corlys meets Viserys inside, seated on his driftwood throne. According to ancient legend, this throne was given to the Valerions by the Merling King, a kind of mermaid sea god. It is a total power move that Corlys has the king come to him, and that Corlys stands over Viserys. Corlys is a very proud man who wants everyone to know how great he is. This room is called the Hall of Nine. It's full of treasures and trophies that Corlys got on his famous Nine Sea Voyages. There's a snake orrery, and a hanging city, and a giant seashell. And now Corlys adds the crab feeder's mask to his collection. Corlys has achieved so much that he lives in a museum of his own awesomeness, and yet Corlys is still not satisfied. Viserys proposes for his daughter and heir Rhaenyra to marry Corlys's son and heir Laenor. He says this will finally unite the Targaryens and Valerions. Which is funny, because Corlys Valerion's wife, Rhaenys Targaryen, is standing right there, they're already united. But Corlys is still angry that Rhaenys didn't inherit the throne back at the Harrenhal Council. The marriage of Rhaenyra and Laenor is really about making up for that rejection, and finally getting a Valerion into the royal line. Corlys negotiates the details. Like, traditionally, children have their father's family name. So will Rhaenyra and Laenor's children, the next rulers of Westeros, be called Valarion? Viserys doesn't want the Targaryen royal name to end with this marriage, so he says that Rhaenyra and Laenor's children will be called Valarion, but when one inherits the throne, they will be called Targaryen, to continue the Targaryen dynasty. So both Viserys and Corlys are very concerned with their legacy and pride. 
Viserys may also be thinking of Aegon the Conqueror's dream that a Targaryen will defeat the White Walkers. But they agree to the marriage, forging a stronger alliance between the two last Valyrian dragon-riding families. Meanwhile, Rhaenyra and Laenor make their own agreement. Laenor is gay, Joffrey Lonmouth is his boyfriend, so marrying Rhaenyra is not what either of them want. Corlys says that Laenor will grow out of being gay, but Rhaenyra accepts Laenor's sexuality. She uses an analogy that some people like duck and some people like goose. This is based on a line in the books where Melos says that it doesn't matter that Laenor is gay, he should marry Rhaenyra anyway, because Melos doesn't like fish, but when fish is served, he'll eat it anyway. Rhaenyra and Laenor agree that they'll do their duty, get married, make some babies, but on the side, they'll hook up with who they want. Laenor can stay with Joffrey, and Rhaenyra can have Kristen, or whoever else she wants. Rhaenyra must have been inspired earlier when Daemon told her that you can have sex outside of marriage. Rhaenyra and Laenor are both happy with this compromise, but polyamorous relationships can cause drama if combined with secrecy and politics and dragons. Rhaenys says that this marriage puts her son Laenor in danger. Like Otto, she says there'll be conflict between Rhaenyra and Aegon for the throne. Corlys says he's willing to fight to put a Valerion's child on the throne. He says it's justice to make up for Rhaenys not getting the throne at the Harrenhal Council. But Rhaenys says she's over that. She cares more about her family's safety than she cares about the throne. She suggests that Corlys is really motivated not by justice, but by pride and power. But despite her fears, Rhaenys is dragged along with Corlys's ambitions like Emma was with Viserys, and Alicent was with Otto. Kristen Cole feels guilty and ashamed that he broke his Kingsguard oath by having sex with Rhaenyra. So Kristen asks Rhaenyra to run away with him to the east, to escape their responsibilities as a Kingsguard and princess, and to be free and married together. Rhaenyra has said before that she wants to escape her responsibilities and wants to travel the east, but lately, Rhaenyra has accepted her political duties. Viserys told her about Aegon the Conqueror's dream that the Targaryens must protect the world from the White Walkers. He made her promise to uphold this. So Rhaenyra says she'll stay. But she says she could still keep Kristen as a lover on the side. Kristen is insulted by this. He doesn't want to be her whore. Which seems hypocritical. Kristen expects Rhaenyra to give up her crown and her family and her home, but Kristen is too proud himself to be a paramour. This goes deep for Kristen, because Kristen's whole identity, his greatest achievement, is being a Kingsguard. He swore a sacred oath of chastity not to have sex, and he can't live in that white cloak knowing that it's a lie, knowing that he could be killed for his crime. He sees running to the east as a way to escape that shame, and marrying Rhaenyra as a way to fix his sin. Running east is not a great idea, but it's the only idea Kristen has. So when Rhaenyra says no, Kristen loses his one hope for a tolerable life. After speaking with Laris, Alicent suspects that Rhaenyra lied, and that maybe she did have sex with Daemon. So Alicent questions Rhaenyra's guard Kristen. Though, like Otto, Alicent is too proper and ashamed to directly say that she thinks Rhaenyra and Daemon had sex. 
So Kristen thinks that Alicent is talking about Rhaenyra having sex with him. Kristen is so full of shame and fear, so desperate for repentance, that he confesses and tells Alicent that he had sex with Rhaenyra. He asks to be put to death rather than gelded or tortured. Because when the Kingsguard Lucamore Strong had sex, they cut off his penis and sent him to the wall. And when the Kingsguard Terence Toyne has sex, the king has him cut to pieces slowly. Kristen wants a quick, honourable end. But Alicent doesn't give him punishment or absolution. She's so stunned that she just lets him go, leaving Kristen to sink deeper into guilt and fear, knowing he could be killed for his crime at any time. Alicent is angry, not just that Rhaenyra lied to her about not having sex, but also because Alicent believing Rhaenyra is part of what got her dad Otto fired. If she can't trust Rhaenyra and if Otto is gone, Alicent is more alone than ever. King Viserys is very sick from the infection that started in his hand. Viserys's actor said that he's now got something like leprosy, deteriorating his body and his bones. It's partly a metaphor for his stress and his failure as a king. Grand Maester Melos treats Viserys with leeches. A new maester called Orwile says a different treatment might be more effective, but Melos refuses. Which is suspicious. Melos talks as though his treatments are working, but they're not. This sickness started with a tiny cut, and now the king's falling to pieces, and yet Melos refuses to try different treatments that might help. So some fans speculate that Melos is deliberately letting the king die, maybe in conspiracy with Otto and the Hightowers. They might hope that if Viserys is weak or dead, they could more easily get Aegon onto the throne. Viserys knows that he might die soon, so he thinks on his legacy, and wonders if he'd be remembered more if he had fought in battles and made conquests. His model city of Valyria is behind him, so the empire of his ancestors is on Viserys's mind. But Lionel says that it's a good thing that Viserys's reign was peaceful. He continued the peaceful legacy of his grandfather, King Jaehaerys. Viserys knows that Lionel is right, but he still has an ego, and knows that they don't sing songs for peaceful kings. The Valarions come to King's Landing for the wedding, and for the first time we see Rhaenys's dragon, called Melis, the Red Queen. Melis is a magnificent scarlet she-dragon, first ridden by Alyssa Targaryen, the mother of Viserys and Daemon. Melis was once the fastest dragon in Westeros. And the other dragon here is Seasmoke, Laenor's dragon. Inside, Lord Jason Lannister arrives with his twin brother Tyland. Jason makes a dumb women joke, and Rhaenyra is not impressed. The Valarions arrive in rich clothing, showing off their wealth. And then, just as Viserys is about to speak, Daemon Targaryen saunters in, as though he owns the place. Just last episode, Viserys told Daemon to never return. But now, Viserys lets Daemon return from exile again. Viserys seems incapable of saying no to his family. And since his brother and daughter and wife all want different things, this is a recipe for conflict. When Viserys starts his speech, he's interrupted again by Alicent in a brilliant green dress. 
Earlier, Alicent felt alone and betrayed, so now she rises defiantly and asserts her own power as queen. Green is a Hightower colour. Laris says that the Hightower beacon burns green at times of war. So this is a rallying call for the Hightowers to stand by Alicent. Previously, Alicent wore red Targaryen clothes, so now wearing green sets her apart from and against Rhaenyra Targaryen. Previously, Rhaenyra called Alicent sister, because they were close, like equals. But now, Alicent calls Rhaenyra stepdaughter, setting herself above Rhaenyra. Green is a colour of envy, and the director said that Alicent had always been envious of Rhaenyra's freedom, while Alicent felt trapped in her duty. Alicent has always been a proper lady, so she shows her power not with swords or dragons, but with a dress, armouring herself in feminine fashion. Her uncle, Lord Hobart Hightower, tells Alicent that Oldtown stands with her. So the battle lines are being drawn. If there's conflict for the throne between Alicent's son Aegon and Rhaenyra, it looks like the Hightowers will support Aegon while the Valerions will support Rhaenyra and Laenor. And all this tension is evident at the wedding. Rhaenyra and Laenor perform a dance that looks like some dragon mating ritual with flapping wings. Maybe this is an ancient Valyrian dance. Rhaenyra's actor said they called one of these dance moves the smelly fart. Laenor says dancing is like combat, because in the books there's a war called the Dance of the Dragons, dancing being a metaphor for the deadly motion of politics and violence. So as the guests join the flowing movements of this dance, emotions and ambitions swirl amongst them. Daemon looks hungrily at Rhaenyra, Alicent glares in green, Kristen boils with jealousy and shame, and there are close-ups of meat being cut with knives, foreshadowing bloody violence. According to interviews, this drummer is Mushroom. Mushroom is the dwarf jester who tells tales of sex and murder in the book Fire and Blood. Gerald Royce confronts Daemon and accuses him of murdering Rhea Royce. Daemon acts like he doesn't care, and says that since Rhea was the heir to Runestone but Rhea had no kids, Daemon will claim the lordship of Runestone for himself. He says that he'll talk to the Lady of the Vale, Jane Arryn, about it. And Gerald looks shocked. Maybe Gerald wants to inherit Runestone himself since he was Rhea's cousin. So maybe Daemon's implication here is that if Gerald shuts up about Daemon killing Rhea, Daemon will let Gerald have Runestone. But if Gerald pushes his accusation and creates problems, Daemon will take Runestone just to fuck with Gerald. And it seems to work. Gerald backs off, and Daemon escapes punishment for his murder. Daemon flirts with Lena Valerion. Daemon seems helplessly attracted to women with Valyrian blood and silver hair. Maybe because Valyrian women can birth Valyrian children who can ride dragons. Having dragon riders as children could be a way for Daemon to gain power. Though last we heard, Lena was to be betrothed to the son of the Sea Lord of Bravos, so she might not be single right now. After Lena, Daemon flirts with the next Valyrian blonde, his niece, and the bride, Rhaenyra. And Rhaenyra flirts back, saying sarcastically, but actually kind of for real though, that Daemon should take her and marry her. Rhaenyra is still attracted to Daemon and has desires that Laenor won't satisfy. 
Lenor's boyfriend Joffrey figures out that Kristen is Rhaenyra's secret lover. He can tell by how Kristen watches Rhaenyra. So Joffrey tells Kristen that he knows Kristen's secret. He says that together they can protect both their secret affairs, Joffrey's affair with Lenor and Kristen's with Rhaenyra. You can read this as a threat, like Kristen better keep Joffrey and Lenor's affair secret, or else Joffrey will expose Kristen's secret affair. But while Joffrey is fairly relaxed about these secrets, Kristen is a ticking time bomb, full of pent-up resentment, shame, and suicidal rage. Full of emotion, and scared that Joffrey will blab his secret, Kristen snaps. He starts a fight, he punches Lenor, there's chaos. So Lionel sends his son Harwin in to get the princess to safety. Harwin Breakbones is said to be the strongest knight in Westeros, so if you need muscle, he's your guy. In the fight, Kristen's emotions pour out as he beats Joffrey to death. When we first met Kristen, he seemed like a fairy tale noble white knight. But beneath that superficial appearance, Kristen is a brutal killer who makes his feelings and bad decisions everyone else's problem. The show's creators describe Kristen as a thug, and his violence was only made worse by his knighthood. Knights are expected to defend their honour with violence. A Kingsguard knight is taught that sex is wrong, but killing is fine. The books often explore how knighthood and honour culture empower bad men to hurt innocent people. In the books, Kristen kills Joffrey not at a wedding, but at a tournament while fighting in a melee, which is a much less terrible crime. Deaths do happen at tournaments, like those knights in episode 1, but beating a man to death at a royal wedding and punching the future king consort in the face are very serious crimes. So it's surprising that Kristen somehow escapes the wedding with his weapons and goes to the godswood. Kristen can't imagine any honourable life for himself, so he prepares to commit suicide. But Kristen is stopped by Alicent. Alicent needs allies, Kristen needs purpose, and both these guys are angry at Rhaenyra. So maybe they'll make an alliance, and Queen Alicent might protect Kristen from punishment for his murder. After Joffrey's death, the planned celebrations are cancelled. Rhaenyra and Lenor are hastily married as Lenor sobs for his dead lover. In the books, Joffrey is comatose for six days, and Lenor stays by his side until Joffrey dies. King Viserys collapses again, and his crown falls off his head, highlighting that Viserys may die soon, and that the succession for his crown is uncertain. A rat laps at Joffrey's blood, which could represent Laris, whose words to Alicent earlier fed this conflict. The rat could also represent all the lords and knights of Westeros who were eager to fight for power, like crows feasting on the corpse of House Targaryen. Everyone feels that war is coming, and they can almost taste the blood. If you want to know more about the magic of the Old Gods, about Bran and Bloodraven, and Arya skin-changing a cat, you gotta check out the Game of Thrones books. The main series has Bran and Arya's magic, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms features Bloodraven's past life as a spymaster, The World of Ice and Fire is full of world-building and a short summary of House of the Dragon, and Fire and Blood tells the full story of Hot D. 
You can get any one of these on audiobook for free right now at audible.com ASX. Sign up for a Premium Plus trial membership, and you can get an audiobook to keep, even if you cancel the trial. You can get any Game of Thrones book, or The Lord of the Rings, or Dune. Membership also includes unlimited access to thousands of audiobooks and shows in the Audible Plus catalogue. Sign up at audible.com slash ASX, or text ASX to 500-500. Thanks for watching. Please like and subscribe, and check out the Alt-Shift-X podcasts linked below. Thanks to the patrons, including Saktatat Kwon Chaitanya, Carrie Steyer, Maxwell Gierk, Jerry, Cairo Minot, Laurie Perrick, and Thanos is God. Cheers.